This is Books, Beats, and Beyond, where we will bring you provocative music and engaging interviews from music artists, authors, historians, and others barely acknowledged by the mainstream media. I'll be your host, Taj. Today I'm talking with Jasmine Red. Jasmine Red is a singer, songwriter, poet, and MC representing Talton, Massachusetts. We will be talking to her about her socially progressive and provocative sophomore album entitled Writing Her Story. But before we do that, let's get to know Jasmine Red a little bit more. Jasmine Red, welcome to Book Speeds and Beyond. Thank you, and thank you for having me. Oh, we appreciate the opportunity. So uh, before we get into it, you got to break down your name, Jasmine Red. What's that all about? So um, Jasmine is legitimately my government name, um, exactly how it's spelled, um, J-A-Z-Z-M-Y-N. Uh, there's a funny story that kind of goes along with that, whereas um, when my mom was pregnant with me, her father had a dream that I was going to be involved in the stage um, in some way, shape, or form. He didn't know if it was going to be acting, singing, dancing. He just knew I would be a performer. So she put that musical aspect into my name with, you know, jazz, J-A-Z-Z. Um, and also music is a universal language. So it was incorporated in. My name, I think, has been such a large part of my life um, that I wanted to make sure I kept some element of my actual um, birth name. Um, so that's where the jasmine aspect comes from, whereas um, red was kind of like, you know, being a mixed-race um, woman, you get called things like red, red bone, especially because you have the red undertones in your skin and your hair. So um, that's kind of where that came from. But even more so, um, there's actually a, a poem on the album called Color Me Red that kind of talks about why I took that name on in a sense of... Um, the historical context and the way that the color makes you feel in general. Um, I feel that the color red, it represents passion, it represents anger, it represents love, it represents all these different things, but even more so, like, it was the street name that was given to Malcolm X. Um, it represents blood and war, and that's how I pay my respects to the people that fought for me to be able to do and accomplish the things that I have. So... All around, I feel like it was a pretty solid representation of who I am as a person, but also, you know, who I am as an artist and artistically. Wow, a simple color. You gave, <laughs> you gave it so much meaning. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> so you were born and raised in Ta Taunton, Massachusetts? Is that how you say it? Yeah, Taunton, yep. Um, my family is from Brockton. Um, well, my dad's family is from Brockton. My mother's family is from Rainham. And then I was kind of raised in Taunton um, and, you know, took part in kind of all three communities. Um, I've lived in New York. I've lived in all kind of different <laughs> areas. I've moved a lot. So um, I usually, you know, people ask where I'm from. I'm from uh, the same Massachusetts because <laughs> I've kind of lived everywhere in Massachusetts. But, yeah, um, I lived in Taunton. Spent a lot of time in Brockton and went to uh, Rainham schools, so I was kind of just a little bit of everywhere. <laughs> okay, and how how's that? How's all that moving around influenced uh, you becoming a music artist? Um, you get a lot of different experiences, especially moving around at a young age. 
um, moving in, into different apartments, into different cities and towns. And, um, you know, you get a lot of different experiences. You meet a lot of different people. So I feel like my music reflects my life experiences on such a large scale that through those interactions with the people that I've met along the way, um, it's just really helped to to cultivate um, my artistry. Mm-hmm. So how would you how would you describe the sound, the hip hop sound of Massachusetts? It's different. I feel like there's so many different artists in Massachusetts. Everybody kind of does something differently. Um, I feel like, especially right now, I think Massachusetts is still trying to find its own sound in many ways, and there are some artists in Massachusetts that have accomplished that. Um, but there are some that still are kind of like taken from the Chicago sound or the New York sound, that type of thing. Um, but I think that you can find a pretty pretty serious mix here in Mass. Um, you know, you have some artists that pull on those rock sounds. You have some artists that pull on that Chicago um, trap style um, hip hop sound, and then you have some that pull on that old school blues, jazz infused kind of hip hop. So I would I would say that it's kind of like a melting pot in a lot of ways in Massachusetts as far as sound goes. Yeah, I was just talking to another artist from Massachusetts, and he kind of said the same thing. So yeah, that's pretty that's pretty dope. How would you describe your sound? Um, so my sound is kind of like. Tupac meets Lauren Hill meets Queen Latifah meets <laughs> J. Cole. <laughs> um, I really like, I hand select all of my beats and I really, um, I like real instrumentation in, in my instrumentals. Um, I like to hear guitar and I like to hear drums, um, not just stuff that's like electronically like synthesized sounds, but I like to hear like those real musical instruments. Um, and I'm so heavily influenced by the 90s like i love to hear you know beats that have that jazz and blues sound or that blues kind of melody to it in the background so i definitely say i'm kind of like 90s style meets present day um and i call it like a hip-hop soul that's kind of what i would distinguish myself as i don't know if that's a genre yet but uh, you know i'm gonna make it one <laughs> make it one there you go <laughs> hip-hop soul that's where i'm at <laughs> So let's talk a little bit about your album, Writing Her Story. Explain that title. So um, Writing Her Story is a play off of writing history, um, of course, in the way that it's written. Um, But, you know, it's really, it was really um, created in the sense of, like, every day um, as an individual, as a person, you write your own story, and you have the power to change your story however you would like to. You can't change what you've already written, but you can change how the story progresses within the future. Um, So my album, Writing Her Story, is really a tale of my life as a woman, especially as a biracial woman, um, but even more so the story of women all over. Um, I feel that a lot of the songs on the album, a lot of people can identify, and even more strongly, um, a lot of women can identify with as far as, like, you know, the kind of things that we go through as we grow. So um, that's where that's where that title kind of came from. Mm-hmm. You got a you got a song in there that I, I just love so much. It's called Positive Vibes Only. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everybody loves that. <laughs> <laughs> 
They say to live is to suffer, look surprised, I survive. When the odds was against me, I just took it in stride. Thank God for the present, cause today I'm alive. Every breath that I breathe is a gift from the most high. Gotta get by, yes I know about the struggle. Kinda hard to be strong when you feel no one loves you. No depression is a motherfucker, pain gets real. But a change of mind can make the wounds all heal. Music make me fail, it's take away the pain. I get lost and go numb, but the drums keep me sane. Free from negativity, positive vibes on What was the inspiration for that song? Um, you know what? With Positive Vibes Only, I kind of just, I took a look at the world around me. You know, um, as an artist, sometimes, I don't know if other artists this happens to them, but, like, you could be just doing something regular um, that you would do any other day, like driving in the car or whatever, and you kind of get 
locked in your mind and you start to really think about things. And um, that's really where Positive Vibes only came from was I kind of got locked in one day and really just thought about the world around me and the different things I was seeing from, you know, um, people battling depression and, and really kind of hurting on the inside um, and, you know, young girls struggling with their body image and self-love and self-worth and um, confidence. And then, you know, even more so into my story where um, <clears throat> I talk about in the last verse, like, they said I wouldn't make it never amount to much because the drops in my blood and the place I come from. Um, really talking about, like, you know, being a biracial person and coming from the type of community that I come from, the odds are already stacked against you and people don't believe that you can achieve things. And, you know, I've had even teachers say to me certain things like, you know, uh, I'm going to tell your mother that you shouldn't even, she shouldn't send you to college because, you know, you're not going to make it wow. type of thing like that. So, you know, I kind of looked around at just everything and, and just wanted to talk about it and put it out there because a lot of us feel these things and a lot of us go through these things and we might not outwardly say it. And sometimes when you don't outwardly express that, you can really feel alone. Mm -hmm. You know, like you really feel like nobody understands where you're coming from and nobody understands like what you're looking at in the world and how you're perceiving things and how you're feeling. But in reality, the more we talk about these things and we more, the more we shed light on them, the more we realize that, you know, you might feel alone or you might stand alone, but you're really not lonely on the topic. Like, other people feel the same way. And the more we communicate those things, the more we can come together and kind of heal as a community and as a people. True indeed. So, so <laughs> outside from your music, what brings you positive vibes and how do you avoid so much, so much negativity as you can? Um, you know, that took a lot of work. <laughs> um, it's not, it, it wasn't something that came easy. Um, you know, I've battled with my own issues throughout my whole life, but, you know, you get to a point where you really start to decide um, to change your thought process, you know, and when you feel those negative vibes and you feel that negativity come into your area, you, you have, you grow and figure out ways to kind of push it away. Um, from you. I really stay busy for the most part. Um, I get really involved with my family. I'm really involved in music. Um, I teach. So although, you know, having students, especially high school students, can, can bring some negativity to you every once in a while, you know, <laughs> um, it's, it's a positive thing because at the end of the day, I'm making a difference um, in the world. And I think that that's the biggest thing that brings me, you know, satisfaction and positivity and feeling like I'm doing something good and I'm putting good vibes out there is really just, you know, being around people, especially youth and, and influencing them as much as I can and leading them in the right path. So you're a high school teacher. What, what do you teach? I actually teach black history. Wow. <laughs> um, I'm a history teacher in general. Um, but as of right now, um, every year I teach a class on black history and that's what I'm teaching um, right now is Rockford. And how, how, did, how, how are the kids responding to uh, black history in high school? Um, you know what? To be honest, it's actually really interesting because, um, you know, I, I learned about black history because I never got it in school, and I knew that there was more to the story that nobody was telling me. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe they weren't telling me because they didn't want to, or maybe they were telling me because they didn't know, but I knew that there was knowledge out there. So I kind of made it my, my, my mission through college to 
learn those things so I could bring it back to my community and teach it to the generations younger than me. So now, you know, in doing that, um, it's interesting when you're teaching a student something that they've never learned before, but they're old enough to understand um, its impact of what you're telling them. You know, when I talk about, I, I just um, finished a, a um, lesson on Mansa Musa, mm. right? And, you know, when you ask the student, oh, who do you think the richest man to ever exist was? They're thinking the Rockefellers and the yeah. Rothschilds and all those. <laughs> but they're not, you know, they don't know about Mansa Musa. Like, Mansa Musa was the richest man in history, you mm. know, and he was a, a black king. Like, so when they receive that information, it's like, whoa. You know, like they, it really kind of like opens their mind to the fact that there's so much about themselves and, and their people and our people that they haven't learned yet. So they're perceiving it really well. They're really soaking it all in. Um, and honestly, like, that's one of the best things as a teacher. Cause it's like, yes, like you, you guys are interested and enthusiastic about this, you know, especially in high school. High school is like, you don't want to do work. You don't want to do anything. <laughs> Right, right, right. <laughs> so, so to get them excited about it is, is great <laughs> yeah that's awesome so do they know that you're an MC? yes they do actually <laughs> how do they feel about um, it? we actually we had a black history celebration um a couple a week or two ago the week right before their uh vacation that i performed at and rapped in front of everybody so that was cool wow. um they are every time i see them in the hallway they're always asking me to like they're 16, you know, <laughs> you all the, the time. So, you in the ciphers after huh? school? You're in the ciphers after school? You, you're the teacher in the ciphers? <laughs> no ciphers after school. They be catching me in the hallway, though. If a new student comes, if a new student comes to get it, they're like, oh, you got to rap. I'm like, listen, we're not here for this right now. Hold on. <laughs> but, yeah, they're all for it, and they're super supportive, like, you know, always asking, like, when can I be in a video or do you do any all-ages shows, like, stuff like that. So it's cool because you relate to them on a different level, and it helps you to really get to, to them mm -hmm. even further than somebody else might because you are part of what they're part of. Right. So it definitely helps in that way. Wow. You have another song on the album called Questionable Blackness. Put it in the present tense since the beginning. 
beginning, we was torn apart. Talk colors are the enemy, not works of art. See, there's beauty in complexion and in your reflection. Don't matter the shade, it's all black that we're blessed with. In order to be free, we must defeat, internalize oppression. I hope you're listening to me. Colorism has infected the minds of many. Light, dark, fair, brown, there's no need to envy. That's your sister, uplift her and help her grow. Let her know black is beautiful, don't matter the tone. We all grown to hate each other. I grew to resent my mother, wishing I was darker. So the mirror would love me, but there's no need to change. And the source of my pain shouldn't come from my skin, cause the beauty lies within. Sing. What event in your life made you realize the complexities of being biracial? I've, I realized the complexity of being biracial at such a young age because um, I feel like I got exposed to a lot of different things at a young age that you wouldn't typically think, um, especially, you know, I'm born in like, and I'm born in 91, you know, so by the time I'm like in middle school, people are already on that whole, oh, racism isn't a real thing. No, it was very real. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, it was very real. It was so pre- prevalent. Um, but, you know, I, in my dad's side of the family, um, they're the ones who really raised me. Um, every birthday, every basketball game, every performance, every everything, like that was my support system. That was, you know, who um, I went to if I was ever upset or, you know, whatever the case is. Um, and I really like, I look a lot like them, but at the same time, I don't because I'm so fair skinned. And then on my mom's side of the family, I'm the only black child on that side of the family. Um, I'm the only one who's half black. So, you know, on that side of the family, I'm a little bit more olive toned than anybody else. And like, you know, you kind of just, you don't really fit in like, perfectly to any one spot because of cultural differences and because of different cultural and political views and all these other things. And, you know, from that, I began to realize how difficult it was to be a biracial person um, in America, but even more so, um, all through, like, middle school, I remember kind of getting into altercations in school based on race. and being targeted based on my race, me and my cousins and my friends, because um, we were minorities, but we went to a predominantly white school. So, you know, that became difficult. But then as I got older and I started to, like, expound on my knowledge of black history and be vocal about it and talk about it, all of a sudden it was, well, you're not black enough to say that. But it's like, well, what do you mean? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, my whole life I've been targeted um in this way and, and oppressed and, and ridiculed in this way of being 
a, a black woman, but then when I start to talk about black issues, I'm no longer black enough to say what I'm saying. So it's a very complex kind of thing. Um, and then everybody's always assuming that I'm Spanish <laughs> <laughs> on top of it. So it's like, you know, you have, it's like it's like a serious like identity crisis. Like, who are you and where do you belong and, and what are you supposed to say? And, you know, you kind of really have to break away from all that and just be exactly who you are regardless of what people have to comment about it. Like, just stay true to yourself. But, you know, the complexity of, of being biracial um, and what that meant, I think I was exposed to very early and have kind of come into my own um with it so yeah well you you had a uh you said something in there you said i grew to resent my mother wishing i was darker so the mirror would love me what do you mean here um so essentially what what i'm really trying to say there is um you know especially when you're talking about i'm talking about asada shakur and i'm talking about um issues in the black community and i'm talking about you know all these different um, topics, urban education, that all deal around the black experience of in America um, that I've experienced myself, but I'm being told, how could you even know what that is because mm-hmm. you're light-skinned. I wouldn't even look at you and think that you were black, but somebody on the other side of the spectrum would look at me and, and I've been called names. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So it really came to, like, I, I think more or less that line is more figuratively, but in the sense of, like, I always wished that my complexion, I've struggled with my complexion um, because of those reasons, because I am so active in the black community and because um, I do feel so deeply when it comes to my people that to be kind of pushed out sometimes because my skin is not dark enough for some people's approval is a difficult pill to swallow. Um, And when you look at where that comes from, where being half white, my mother being the portion of me that's half white, um, you know, it it basically just made sense (laughs) to kind of put it in those words um, in a sense of like, I wish I was darker. The reason why I'm not is because I'm half white. I have all these feelings, but people are, you know, negating those feelings and, and, and telling me they're not valid because of my complexion, yeah. which to me doesn't make any sense because, you know, black comes in all shapes, you know, but mm-hmm. it's like having to explain yourself all the time. Like, I say something, get told I'm not black, and then I have to show them a picture. Like, this is what my family looks like. <laughs> so what are you talking about? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want to have to keep explaining myself all the time, but, you know, I've come to grips with the fact that I probably will have to for the rest of my life, so that's what it is. So <laughs> I, it just made me think, knowing that your your mother's white and, you're, you you know, you talk about the the black the black uh, plight and the, the issues we go through, how, how does she feel about that? Um, you know, my mom always kept me um, very sharp when it came to knowledge. She is. Um, she got her degree in international relations and political science. So she is a very conscious woman. Um, she is extremely intelligent. And ever since I was young, she was always talking to me about um, oppressed people and and um, you know the nature of of politics behind it. Um, I remember, you know, I grew up listening to Tupac, 
And <laughs> she would say to me, you know, well, why is Tupac swearing? And I would repeat to her at like five years old, because he's angry. What is he angry at? The government. Why? Because the socioeconomic stance of African Americans in America, like that was real. Wow. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so she really took time to break things down to me. And, um, you know, she was, she was asked when she was pregnant, um, are you going to raise her black or white? And, you know, when she told me that story, she said that that really took away, like, the innocence of the child she was about to have because she never thought about it. Like, like, I'm going to raise her like my child. I'm not going to raise her black or white, you know. But I think that in that moment, she realized that she would have to almost teach me about myself as a whole and myself compartmentalized. Um, as far as the things that I was and, and what that meant. Um, and I think that her and my dad did a really good job um, at that, you know, to be honest. But that's kind of yeah. <laughs> so, my take on that. <laughs> so you said she was, you would listen to Tupac at five? Is that what you said? Oh, I was listening to Tupac so early. <laughs> I remember when Tupac passed away. I was like six years old, five, wow. six years old. <laughs> but, yeah, my dad was a huge Tupac fan, so that's that's all. That's all. I kind of grew up on Tupac, Scarface, DMX, Ghetto Boys, like nice. <laughs> that's, that's what it was for me as a child. <laughs> nice. Um, you have a song on there called "She's Not." Just her presence alone make everything all right. In the 
innocent and amazing her story in the making the world in her hands and it's hers for the taking she's the teacher the doctor the poet the author she's the president the ceo and the daughter of the revolution she gives the good and the evil she's so well spoken she's the voice of the people she's the future bright eyed and hopeful she gives the song of the cage bird so damn soulful the end to the violence and end to the silence she's the present and the past will serve as a reminder she What do you think it takes to make the type of woman that you were referring to in the song? The biggest thing is resilience. Uh, I think that every woman throughout history that would, that became what we would consider to be great or honorable or memorable or historic, it took a extreme amount of resilience and tenacity. And, you know, when you get knocked down, the ability to get back up, and even though you might be a little sore and bruised up and have some hurt feelings, you're you're ready to still combat and, and come forward with the change that you're trying to bring or the words that you're trying to say or whatever that may be. So so what women throughout history had the biggest impact on you? There's been quite a few and for all like different reasons. I love Angela Davis. I love Maya Angelou Lauren Hill and Queen Latifah, if you're talking music, those have kind of been two of my really big um, influences. I love everything about them. Um, Asada Shakur, Afini Shakur, um, all for kind of like their own different reasons, but um, all for the same reason at the same time, um, for being strong in the face of adversity and for toppling obstacles and for, you know, just really kind of unapologetically being themselves and, and fighting for what you know, in their hearts, they felt was right. Um, those have probably been my biggest influences throughout throughout history. Nice. So, you know, you, you have a lot of interludes of poems that are, like, interlaced throughout your album. Um, mm-hmm. To me, it seems like each song had its own poem. I was just trying yep, to figure out your exactly. thought process behind doing <laughs> this. What was the thought process behind doing that? Um, I haven't really heard spoken word on a, on an album like that uh, you know you hear like some of it like maybe a little bit but there was nothing that kind of played um in between songs like to transition you from one to the other and each one of those interludes is really a transition from the previous song to the next um if you listen closely to them mm-hmm. um <clears throat> so when you listen to writing her story like the introduction track it kind of introduces you to the fact that I'm born into this world. I'm born into this world as a woman. This is kind of the overview of what my story has been. And then you get into Uncle Sam, where Uncle Sam talks about, okay, not not only have I, you know, struggled a little bit and been born into this world as a woman, but, you know, I've been born into the black community, and this is what I've seen in my life, especially as a child. And then you get into questionable blackness where you start to realize the complexity of being biracial. And then you get into a real message where you're starting to learn about the world around you. You know what I mean? Like it just yeah. kind of transitions you um, into each 
song, um, and I really wanted, I really wanted the album to tell the story front to back because it's really the progression of my life from the very beginning to this current moment right now, broken down into songs with with transitional periods of interludes. So. Yeah. So you 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 said you talked about real briefly about one of your poems called "A Real Message." I'm real in my message. No lecture, just lessons. Stressing, being tested, trying hard to count blessings. Preacher asking all these questions, enjoying my confessions of the sin from within. All this skin got me tempted, battling depression, up late, never resting. Cause sleep is the cousin of death and deception. I seen dreams get deferred like Langston in 67. Heard shots in the dark, stole hearts like interceptions. The oppression of the mind is one you will find. Every reflection, every mirror, every time. 12 million slaves according to the Constitution and a couple million more caught up in their own illusions of reality. Clarity, disparity so profuse. Excuse my intrusion on your conscience, I'm not through. We can't control others, but we can watch what we do. Control your actions for your actions control you. Shoot looting and polluting our communities. No excuse. Kids ain't even safe on the court or in the booth. And in truth, minorities as a whole have been robbed. But tell me, what's worse, selling your soul or getting a job? The struggle, the bottom, the streets, the cage, killing our cities for monetary gain, destroying our families, and the source of the pain comes from your pocket and rocks and in veins. Destruction of a race, descendants of kings and queens, kamikaze suicidal victims of our own defeat. Puppets for the government as they bask in their wealth. Clean hands for the white man because we're killing ourselves while they move in a stealth. Secrets kept from our ears. The only country for the people is one that lives in fear of revolution. Realization of the corrupt, because if we choose to act up, then this whole country is fucked. So they divide and conquer. Give us drugs and armor, alcohol and fast food, and cover it up with Obama. But we ain't that foolish, and they ain't too discreet. Because if you ain't noticed, he answers to a congress of white sheets. And like white sheep, we believe in an idol. But love of money is the root of all evil, says the Bible. End of days, so much hate, you ask, where's God in all this? He's plotting and planning his return, like he promised. And on the day of my judgment, when my time here is done, I can rest peacefully, knowing I dropped wisdom. What is the real message behind that poem? The real message behind the poem is essentially just kind of putting things in perspective um, and really kind of analyzing the world as is. Um, <clears throat> Like the one line that I do say, um, they give us drugs and armor, alcohol and fast food and cover it up with Obama. Really kind of saying like, you know, that's bringing light to the distractions that are placed in front of us and the kind of cover-ups that are placed in front of us to keep us from looking at the bigger picture of what's going on um, within the world. You know, drugs and artillery was put into the black community for a purpose. Um, alcohol and fast food was put into our communities for a purpose. They're detrimental, you know, and that kind of has created its own culture within the inner city that keeps you from looking at the world as a whole and keeps you from understanding that there's a whole big world out there. Um, but you really have to look at your situation and you have to look at your history and you have to look at what is placed in front of you to distract you from the bigger picture. And that's why at the end of Real Message, um, I can rest peacefully knowing I dropped wisdom. You know, mm -hmm. that's the real message is I dropped this wisdom for y'all. 
I'm, it, some of it's vague, some of it's to the point, but at least I know I said it. Yeah. Um, You said you said something. You said, while they're moving in stealth, secrets kept from our ears. The only country for a people is the one that lives in fear of revolution. From your perspective, Mm -hmm. what would the revolution look like? Um, I think the revolution has very much already begun. Mm -hmm. Um, It's it's started very. it's not it's not picking up rapidly, but it has started. And when I say revolution, I think that the biggest part of the revolution um, right now is the evolution of consciousness. Mm-hmm. I think that people are starting to wake up again because we were woke at one point, and then we kind of drifted off to sleep for a little while. But I feel like, especially ever since the Trayvon Martin case um, and with what's going on in Flint, Michigan, and then you have Mike Brown and all these other things that have been happening, especially now with the current um, number 45 (laughs) president Mm -hmm. that we have (laughs) in office. You know, people, um, whether you're talking socioeconomic, whether you're talking race relations, whether you're talking just about anything that's problematic um, in our world, people are starting to wake up and look at them and be vocal um, and be active. And I think that that is one of the most um, essential parts of revolutionizing what's going on right now. Um, and really it's just kind of like lit the lit the, uh, the, the flame, really, um, to what will continue um, to happen until these things get reformed and fixed. Yeah, and, and you know, since you're a teacher and you're, you're, you're close to the students, you know, they always say, like, the youth is the future and, and so forth. Oh, Mm-hmm. Are they are they feeling it? Uh, they, do they feel like there's a revolution coming? Um, you know, a lot of my students, some of them are pretty conscious to what's going on. Um, some of them are swept up with the belts and the sneakers and the clothes and all that other stuff. Um, but I feel like in teaching the classes um, that I've taught, like in teaching civics and the study of government and teaching black history, it's kind of breaking down those walls that have been built. Um, around their minds to keep them from from understanding these concepts and getting this knowledge. Trying to break those down, and and I think a lot of my students are not only because of what's happening in the world, but you know, you get influenced by what happens in the world, and then you come into a classroom and you're able to talk about it without judgment and without being told, you know, oh this is wrong or whatever the case is. Like you're able to freely express yourself. I think that that is helping to their understanding of kind of what is happening right now within our country as well as within the world. So some of them are feeling it. Some of them are not as um, active as you would expect young people to be um, in these times, but they're young at the same time. Not everybody's reading, you know, news articles and stuff like that right now. The mainstream media still has a pretty strong um, hold mm-hmm. on our young people, but you know, the more that we educate them and the more that we talk about these things and the more that we bring them to their attention, I think the more they'll begin to understand um, what's going on. So. Yeah, good point. So you, you have a song on there called Fade Out.
These spirits, they know me, they know my stories, they know my trials, my tribulations, and the glories recited poorly due to the slurring of words. And they can't talk back, so I can only be heard. No judgment from a bottle, just a place to drown your sorrow. Passed out drunk in love and woke up with hate tomorrow. That's ironic. No intentions to ever stop it. Bottles open, mixed emotions come from chronic gin and tonic. Let's be honest. And the seat is a friend of me, always there to render me. When my friends turn to enemies, watch family turn to strangers, witness kids facing danger. Say it won't save me from my problems. Wash away the pain just for a moment. Intoxicated with my thoughts, how does one stay sober when your life is on the rocks for a moment? Intoxicated with my thoughts, how does one stay sober when your life is on the rocks? seems to me that there was a you you had a substance abuse problem if i'm wrong uh please correct me i'm just trying to figure out if if that's what you're talking about um i am talking not only from my own perspective but from the perspective of things that i've seen um within my own community whether it be friends family whatever the case may be um the reliance on outside sources to numb pain 
mm-hmm. really, um, mm-hmm. for Fade Out. Whereas um, I do talk about alcohol and Fade Out. Um, that's kind of the main premise of that song. But <clears throat> I also go in to talk about um, men when I say um, Jack, Jim, and Jose killed me in ways I can't explain. Tell me what's in the name. They're all the same, mm. you know? Um, that's in the sense of not only talking about, you know, liquor as a substance, yeah. but talking about covering up your, especially as a woman, we have a tendency to think where we think that um, we can cover up our emptiness inside with any sort of outside sources. And sometimes those, those outside sources end up being men. And sometimes those men are not good for us, just as alcohol is not good for us, just as any other substance that we may is not good for us. But because it fills a void in the moment, we abuse it and we use it. And um, that's really what Fade Out was meant to bring light to, um, is the fact that sometimes you can get down like that. And sometimes life is really going to hand you some serious lemons, you know, Um but you got to be careful with what you fill those voids with because they can really destroy you and, and make it worse than what it was. Wow, yeah. In the form of 
No justice, no peace. You know, you spell that yep. K N O W, not not N O. Why did you just, why did you yep. decide to do that? Um, so in the actual notebook that is written in, it's um, N O justice, N O peace, and then K N O W justice, K N O W peace. Um, meaning that <clears throat> with no justice, there will be no peace. And if we never know justice, that you will never know peace. Mm -hmm. Um, That song came really from a fire that got ignited inside of me, um, especially with all the um, murders of unarmed black men and women, Um, watching it in the news and, and seeing, you know, people be acquitted of these crimes when they shouldn't have been. Um, and then, you know, when people take to the streets and march like they have the right to, there are people who criticize that and say that, oh, well, you shouldn't be doing that or justice was served, when in reality it was not. Um, so, you know, they, they want this peace, but there's no justice to be found. So without that, I can't give you peace if you're not giving me justice, mm-hmm. you know. Um, it's my right to make noise when I feel something is wrong. It's it's my right to do that. It's my right to peacefully protest. It's my right to march. I can hold signs. I, you know what I mean? Like, that's that's my right by your constitution. So don't beg me for peace if when I beg you for justice, you don't give it to me. Mm-hmm. It's not fair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. So, so to know one, you got to know the other. And if you don't know it, then you ain't got to know it. <laughs> All right. So I, I know that you're very active with the kids as a teacher, and it just made me also think, you know, because it seems like a, a song about protest. I was wondering if, if there is anything you're doing outside of music to spread this message. Um, I have been a part of a couple of Black Lives Matter protests, um, one of which in Brockton, a couple of others in Boston. Um, I have been very active in the community as far as, like, um, I do a lot of poetry slams that are based on social political views and um, kind of um, African-American views within the community. My social media, I'm always kind of trying to spread the knowledge that I have um, and expound on some things that are going on within the world. So I try to be active um, in any which way that I can because I am very much so about everything that I say. So, you know, with the music that I make, it all comes from somewhere. It comes from those experiences that I've had of being active in the community for these reasons. Um, and especially, you know, standing for something because at the core of everything, um, at the core of music, at the core of teaching, at the core of, you know, me, justice, I think is the biggest thing that 
I'm passionate about, um, whether that be justice in education, by having a multicultural education that allows minority students to learn about themselves as well as each other, um, justice in the courtroom, justice in the socioeconomic status of people all over this country, um, whatever it may be. So, you know, at my core, that's really something that that I'm extremely passionate about and anything that I can get involved in um, that speaks to those issues, I do at any at any point in time um, that I'm available to, to attend or be part of or perform at. So. Well, keep it up. Keep it up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so let's talk about some things outside of, of, of music. You know, it seems like you're very woke, you're very conscious, and so forth. What books mm-hmm. are you reading right now or have read? Um, books that I'm reading right now, I have. So I'm not reading anything right now because I'm studying to take some certifications. So that's about all that I'm reading <laughs> yeah, at the moment. <laughs> um, but I have read The Miseducation of the Negro. I have read Why We Can't Wait, um, the Asada Shakur autobiography. Um, and kind of the list goes on, especially because, you know, um, I do have my bachelor's degree in communications and media, um, and my minor was in Africana studies. Mm-hmm. So I was just, that whole five-year span <laughs> of school was just filled with a lot, a lot of books. And I'm, you know, credited to my, my teachers for assigning interesting material, you know, at all times. But um mm-hmm. I've also read The Prince by Machiavelli. I read that actually very early. Um, being kind of a disciple of Tupac, I found out that he read that in jail. So by the time I was like, you know, freshman year, I had to read that too. Um, I thought she was about to say eight years old. About to say what? <laughs> right? <laughs> well, I started rapping at seven. Wow. Um, and then, you know, the, the the reading and stuff like that came in a little bit later as far as like getting the knowledge to put into the rhyme. You know, because at first it's just, you know, write some stuff that makes sense yeah. <laughs> and rhymes with each other. And then you start to really expound on, like, what you're feeling inside. So, so Not eight. Not, not quite eight, <laughs> but, you know. <laughs> so rhyming came before poetry for you? Um, I would say my first, well, essentially, like, my first memory of writing um, anything. I was seven years old. It was summertime. And my dad rapped. And my aunt rapped mm. and sang, so I was really young and like I loved hip hop from the very from the very very beginning. I fell in love with hip hop, and um, I was just like one day like I'm gonna write a rap, mm. <laughs> and I'm really like well, I'm gonna write a rap. Um, I just learned how to kind of like form, you know, by seven you're like just like formulating sentences, um, but yeah. So rapping was kind of like my first thought, and then as I grew into myself and was kind of figuring out the world, poetry began to happen. Um, but in, in reality, you can't really have rap That's without right. poetry because mm-hmm. poetry is rap. So mm-hmm. I guess um, I guess in, in reality, the poetry came first. I mean, technical. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So um, what three albums had the biggest influence on in shaping who you are today? Three albums. Uh, Me Against the World. For sure, that is my favorite Tupac album. Um, the Miseducation of Lauryn Hill, and um, probably hmm, the third one's a tough one. Miseducation and Me Against the World are definitely top two. I remember having those like tapes. Why? Why those two? 
Me Against the World just had so many songs that I really loved on it. The one in particular that is probably has my favorite rap verse of all time um, is the song Me Against the World, that last verse that yeah. Tupac spit. Um, it's probably one of my favorite. You know, I teach it as oh, a lesson wow. in class. So <laughs> that, that's been one of my favorite songs for a long time. Um, and Miseducation of Warren Hill because I saw the versatility of a woman in the hip-hop industry. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, on that, she she came hard with bars um, on Lost Ones in the beginning. And then, you know, she got soft with some of her other songs like X Factor. And then she talked about the industry. And then she got political. Like, she just kind of did it all yeah. in that one album um, and did it so, like, it was, like, seamless. Like, there was nothing on, there was no song on there where you were just kind of like, eh. Yeah, it was okay. <laughs> like everything was like, you know, um, way way beyond. As at least for me, you know, mm-hmm. everybody got their own inspiration. So I can't speak for everybody, but <laughs> as far as I'm concerned, um, Miseducation of Lauryn Hill is probably my one of my favorite classic albums um, that I've ever had or listened to. So. I've interviewed other people, and uh, Lauryn Hill's album was one of the top three as well. It's a really dynamic, oh, yeah, dynamic group absolutely. album. Yeah. So, and, you know, mm-hmm. like having one album and it was so it's so long ago, just that one album and she is still like at the top of the list when you're talking about female artists and female MCs, like that's just that speaks for itself. You know, yeah, like absolutely. that that should speak alone, stand alone. So. Yeah. And you said you teach that that last verse in Tupac song. How do the kids respond to learning that 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 teaching lesson. Um, well, my kids get super excited when I tell them that I'm teaching them about Tupac to begin <laughs> with, because um, the way that I structure my Black History class is I start from um, the geography of Africa and like kings and queens and empires of Africa, and transition all the way up to present day Black Lives Matter. So once we get out of the civil rights movement and I talk to them about, like, the Black Panthers, Malcolm X, Martin Luther King, um, Medgar Evers, that kind of section, um, we go right into hip-hop. So I give them the elements of hip-hop, and then from that, you know, we talk about Tupac because he's a direct descendant of the 1960s civil rights movement, mm-hmm. 50s and 60s civil rights movement. So we not only look at Me Against the World, we look at... Um, Trapped. We look at Brenda's Got a Baby. We look at a whole bunch of different um, Tupac songs for their context and and what he's saying and why he's saying it and where it's coming from, so that they get a deeper understanding. Because you can listen to changes on the radio mm-hmm. for the rest of your life, but if you don't understand the historical context about why he's saying the things that he's saying, yeah. it, you're, you're listening to lyrics, but you're not really getting them. You know, mm-hmm. um, but they're always they're always in when we start talking about hip hop and we start talking about Tupac because a lot of them favorite rappers is Tupac. Wow. So even still to this day, you know, if I ask my class who's favorite rapper, like they'll give me those some of the new school ones, but for the most part, a lot of my kids say Tupac. So wow. that's something that they look forward to every day, coming to class and talking about and watching documentaries and stuff. So. Damn, I wish I had you as a teacher. Whoa. <laughs> I tell them that all the time. Like, you know, I wish I had, I wish I had me as a teacher. <laughs> Right. Just saying. <laughs> so, what if I had to, to learn about Tupac in school, I'd have been oh, in man. attendance every day on time. <laughs> That's no right. problem. That's right. Do you have them? Do you have them writing poetry in in class or no? 
Um, we don't really write too much poetry in class because it's a history class, yeah. so that kind of spills over into the English language arts department. But right. um, I am next door to an English language arts teacher, and um, she actually uses the song Me Against the World um, in her classes as well oh, wow. um, to teach poetry on the poetry section. So it does kind of spill over, um, which is good because it helps to kind of pique the interest of the students. Yeah, it's so funny because I, I think some of the universities now are starting to teach hip-hop too, you know? It's funny just yeah, the whole yeah. progression of, of hip-hop, how it was like they think it wasn't going to last long, they think it was going to taint their children with, with, with just horrible messages, to now you yeah. want to break it down like, like, like it's like it's Shakespeare and so forth, which it is. And so I'm just, I'm just, yeah, I'm just very excited about the Yeah, future. for sure. I mean, when I was in college, I, that was my whole basis um, was how to use hip-hop in the classroom as a learning tool. Like, I wrote, I wrote like, 25, 30-page papers on that, wow. you know? So now I'm putting it into practice, and I'm seeing it coming to fruition and, and how it is positive and how it does work, so... It's definitely interesting. It's been an interesting ride thus far. Yeah. You know, I'm one year into being a teacher, and it's definitely, definitely something that I'm going to stick with. Yeah, please do. <laughs> so, so what do you want people to mainly take away from the album Writing Her Story? I think one of my biggest um, goals of Writing Her Story, um, as far as, like, when people listen to it, I really want people to know um men women black white brown yellow i don't even care i just want people in general <laughs> to know that you know um something that you feel somebody else can identify with like i my main mission in life really is to make sure that nobody ever feels by themselves or feels alone because um, that's what all my favorite artists did for me um, you know, I could listen to the music if I was going through something and it made me feel like somebody somewhere understood, you know, like what I was dealing with. Even if they don't know me personally, like they got it though. Um, and the other main thing about writing her story is, you know, I really, I really got deep on writing her story. I really talked about a lot of things that make people uncomfortable and make me uncomfortable and, <laughs> you know, put a lot of myself, um, out there. Like, if I, God forbid, but if I were to die tomorrow and I knew writing her story was here, I would know that people would know exactly who I was mm-hmm. because I, I said it and I told it. And I want people to really just start to unapologetically be themselves. Like That is one thing that I would love, that I hope that writing her story sparks, is that, you know, even if you feel uncomfortable or even if, you feel like it might make somebody else uncomfortable, but you feel something deeply, don't ever be afraid to speak your mind and and say how you feel and express yourself because you'd be surprised at who out there in the world feels exactly the same way but is too scared or nervous or doesn't know how to say it, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> it, it was a beautiful album. I meant... Thank you so much. You know, the songs are just impactful, but then... When you start doing the poetry, I'm like, what? This is just, this is a <laughs> lot. This is dope, you know? So Thank you. Thank very, you. Very, very, very good album. So how can people follow you? Um, you can follow me on just about everything. I'm on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, it's Jasmine Red, J-A-Z-Z-M-Y-N-R-E-D. You can also check me out at jasminered.com. 
Um, I'm hopefully going to be doing some touring within the next couple of months, so I might be coming to a city near you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so please watch out for me. I'd love to, you know, I'd love to come out to to other people's cities and do performances. I love to, you know, party with people and show love. So um, you can find me on just about everything. Just Jasmine Red. I'll come right up. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jasmine Red, thank you so much for being on Book Speaks and Beyond. Absolutely, and thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. If you want to purchase any of the music, I've included links in the show notes. Or you could just go to booksbeatsandbeyond.com. And, you know, what's cool is by clicking on the links, you support the guests, the music artists, and uh, we get a small commission, which is no extra cost to you, which we would then put toward the operations of this show. Um, and also, please click on the iTunes link to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. And if you do this stuff already, just want to say thank you so much for your support. Remember, let's read, listen, explore. <laughs>